0: Welcome to the Twimmel AI Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Charrington. All right, everyone, I am on the line with Alexander Madri. Alexander is on the faculty at MIT in the EECS department. Alexander, welcome to the Twimmel AI Podcast.
1: Yeah, welcome. Uh, Thank you for having me. So, yeah, indeed, uh, I am a faculty at MIT, and much of what I work on is machine learning, uh, trying to understand, you know, why this technology works, what can we do to make it uh, work better, and in particular, I'm very much focused on reliability and robustness issues.
0: Awesome. Can you share with us a little bit about your background? How did you get started working in machine learning in general and reliability and robustness in particular?
1: Oh that's actually an interesting story. So essentially I originally or I still actually am a theorist so I worked on on the field called theory of computation and somehow uh, like I was learning about machine learning and about all this like recent exciting developments there and kind of it picked my curiosity and I started to le- trying to learn more and more and more. In particular one thing that you know as I was trying to make sense of this field one thing that stood up to me is exactly this notion of adversarial examples that we will talk about in more depth in a moment. And essentially there kind of what it showed was that this, you know, first of all, we don't understand fully how this machine learning toolkit works, but also we realized that, well, even though this machine learning toolkit works well on average, uh, in average case, it actually, its performance in the worst case is you know is much much more troubling. So that's essentially uh, kind of piqued my interest and made me more interested in you know figuring out. Okay, if we think about machine learning from a more worst case perspective, what you know how does it look like? So essentially, that's that's how I got into this field.
0: A paper of yours was recently presented by one of your students at the neurops conference this is a paper that we wanted to dig into uh in this interview it's called adversarial examples are not bugs they are features uh why don't we start out by having you share uh just the broad space that you're looking to address with this paper
1: sure so actually like this is exactly about this you know this uh, notion of adversarial examples that i mentioned in passing so, so let's talk about what adversarial examples are. So think uh, like adversarial examples are these very curious glitches of state of the art machine learning systems. So essentially, what people observed is that you can take, let's say, an image of a, you know, of a pig that state of the art classifier recognizes as pig with high confidence. And then what you can do is you can add a tiny bit of noise, uh, just a speck of noise to this image. This, this noise is not random, it's carefully chosen. And once you add this noise, well, you will get a different image who, to a human, looks indistinguishable from the original image. But for some reason, this new image is grossly misclassified by by the uh, the classifier. So, for instance, you you can make a pig be classified as an airliner with high confidence. So, the usual joke I make here is that it shows how powerful machine learning can be. It can make pigs fly but essentially what it really uh, shows us is that kind of there is this brittleness of this prediction that like everything looks fine, but then I can show you a, a, you know, a version of the input that looks almost identical, or to you as a human identical to the original picture for, uh, for which the system seems to severely underperform. So kind of, so this is you know, the point of start of this paper, kind of trying to understand, okay, so first of all, why we have adversarial examples, and essentially why they are so widespread because it turns out that essentially if you just look at a standardly trained machine learning system it essentially every input seems to have this adversarial behavior like so you can just take any input and you can make it be classified as any other input Just by adding a bit of noise to it, so kind of this was like very puzzling to us. Okay, I understand that system will not be perfect; that there will be some uh, inputs on which you kind of things will be wrong. But why is it possible to essentially take virtually any input, and kind of what is the nature of this phenomena? Okay, so that's that's essentially what is the point of of this paper, and kind of people of course wondered about this question since the discovery of this phenomena, and they thought about things that you know this is uh, this is this examples exist just because you know they uh, like this is just some statistical fluctuations or that you know this is just some imperfection of the kind of techniques that we are using. And somehow all that the, this uh, explanation of proposed explanation had in common is that they actually view the examples as a glitch in the system, as a bug of our system that once we develop uh, machine learning methods that actually are perfect, they will not have these bugs anymore.
0: Right. It's something that we need to fix as a community in order for these to be more useful or less susceptible to uh, the problems that they represent.
1: Exactly. So essentially, so that's and this is definitely true. And our paper also recognizes as this is the goal, but kind of what was new and kind of kind of mind blowing to us as well as we discovered, even though in retrospect, actually you know perfectly obvious uh, is that you know even though we think of this object as bugs as something that is undesirable and it's definitely undesirable behavior it's actually the root of this behavior is comes from the fact that our machine learning models actually are are performing the tasks we are asking it to perform all too well as opposed to doing it the wrong way okay so essentially, so this is why this title just says that this is, they're not really bugs, even though we, they are undesirable, they're not really bugs, they're actually features. They are something that they just correspond, they are just like a natural consequence of the kind of a misalignment between how our models solve the classification task we want them to solve and how we as humans think they are supposed to be solving it.
0: Mm, interesting. So when I hear you say that they, you know they're working as designed. I, I think these algorithms, they're kind of pattern matching machines. We give them a pattern and then they make a prediction. and this adversarial example problem is kind of manipulating that pattern. and so the prediction you know is expectedly different. Uh, is that the general sense, or you know what what are where are the nuances in this idea that these are actually features?
1: Yes. So essentially, exactly. So 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 you definitely are kind of touching on the on the right subject. So yeah, ju- just to put it in the in the right framing. So in some ways, like yeah. So what do we really? Okay. So what it is that we expect our machine learning systems to do, and what they actually are doing, right? So what we expect machine learning to, uh, machine learning system to do is just okay. Let's say I give it you know ImageNet data uh, dataset to train on. So essentially, it has like million like over a million images, high-quality images, you know, each image is, you know, a picture of, let's say, a dog and a label, okay, this is a dog. There's a picture of a cat and a label, this is a cat. So we let our system just look at this data and kind of try to figure out all the patterns that seem to suggest, okay, how does dog look like? How does a cat look like? Mm -hmm. And then the way we kind of test it, like this is how we test the performance is that we have a held out data set of, let's say, you know, different, uh, different images with labels, so let's say there are, there are some new cats and new dogs, and now we just show the picture and we ask the model, okay, tell me what you think is on this picture. So, so that's kind of the way, uh, like, and what we expect is by just looking at this training set and passing this test, the system learns how a dog looks like or how a cat looks like, and essentially like this is just a way to achieve that. Mm-hmm. okay so, so so essentially like so so there is this like on, on technical level there is this training and testing and on our expectation this is that this is you know after undergoing this procedure the system knows how a dog uh, and cat looks like and now what we discovered is that kind of in some ways you know even though you know this is our expectation this is not exactly what's happening so what's essentially happening is that our deep learning model in particular but all the machine learning model in, in like in particular if all that they have to do is just figure out you know what is the correct answer to this kind of quiz that we give it to the, uh, like at the end well you don't necessarily have to even learn what a dog or what a cat really is from the human perspective essentially all that you have to figure out is that there are certain patterns in the data that correlate well with you know with one label versus the other, and you just have to extract this these patterns and essentially you make your classification based on these patterns. And uh, like so far this is not surprising, but what is surprising is that the patterns that turn out to be most effective to perform well on this test, they are totally not the patterns that we as humans would see in any way correlated with you know like or having anything to do with with this picture corresponding to a picture of a dog and uh, versus this uh, this picture corresponding to a picture of a cat. And essentially what the examples are doing, they exactly leverage this, manipulate these patterns that machine learning models are sensitive to, but to humans seem to be completely unimportant to exactly like, you know, change the prediction of the model while not changing anything to a human.
0: It sounds like the... That degree of dissimilarity between what, you know we the way we expect the model to work or the patterns that we expect to define its predictions and what it's actually doing is really the core of what you're trying to get at with this paper because I think we get as practitioners that the model is very sensitive to, you know, this generic pattern issue. Uh, I guess I'm thinking of examples where, You know, the model is able to tell, you know, dogs, not because it really understands dogs, but because it's trained on data where dogs are always on grass. And so Mm -hmm. it sees Mm -hmm. grass and it can predict dog, this kind of thing. And I think that generally appreciating that issue is has become fairly broad. But it it sounds like what you're getting at is uh, something specific about these kinds of adversarial patterns relative to you know what we're thinking the the way we think the model is performing or should perform
1: yes so so you got it exactly right so yes so just the fact that yes you know dogs are tend to be photographed outside more so than you know than cats you know all of this is true and definitely models leverage that but this is maybe not that surprising was it surprising that it turns out that there are f- like these patterns that are extremely predictive of you know of what is the right answer even though they are Actually, like in no like to humans, they seem to like we don't understand in why they seem to correlate with you know with the right answer, and also these patterns are extremely brittle. So I can completely flip this pattern by just changing this image in a very imperceptible manner. So somehow, somehow, so do we just essentially say that there is kind of this distinction between something that we call like robust features, which in particular, you know. And uh, this captures all the features that we as humans use to uh, do classification because essentially everything we use for classification, it can't be easily flipped with like very tiny perturbation of the image. And then there are these non robust patterns. So there are things that are patterns, but are extremely brittle. And uh, the biggest surprise was that, well, these non robust patterns exist. And also it seems that our models by default gravitate heavily towards relying on these patterns to, to make cla- the classifications. So essentially, like when they exactly like uh, based decision mostly on this part of the spectrum well that's why they become vulnerable to adversarial examples because this part of spectrum can be very easily manipulated and essentially in some ways to a model when we like kind of when we look at these adversarial examples then usually like they are given as a uh, three images there's the original image then there's the noise we added and then there is a the new image uh, and of course the new image and the, you know and the original image seem to be extremely similar but the noise is always looks like a meaningless noise to us and kind of the discovery was that this noise is not meaningless at all. It actually corresponds to exactly flipping these patterns that you know are useful for classification and the patterns that the normal uh, normal models tend to, to tend to rely on. And this was kind of the you know uh, the big discovery. Somehow, in some ways, you know, it has a lot of implications because you know it's not only about okay, we by uh, essentially avoiding relying on these patterns. Like oh, sorry. By having this model, our models to rely on these patterns, they become more brittle, but it also ties into other questions like explainability. like if this pattern is what actually drives the prediction of my model, how I as a human will be able to even make sense of it like kind of like right. you will show right. me okay d- like if these f- four pixels are together with the same value, then this is a cat. like we will have no uh, no hope. For trying to even make sense of it, so essentially, like this becomes this just shows that again why like this shows why this problem is pervasive. This is not just some glitches. This is just a fundamental question of like how our models learn from data. And second of all, is that this is something that we need to go around before we even hope for models that are explainable and reliable.
0: And so, as part of this research, have you been able to characterize these patterns and what makes them so? Uh you know, compelling for our models and, and you know, do do you are you able to get us closer to kind of an understanding that, you know, makes sense for us as humans as to what's happening in these patterns?
1: Yes, so, so that's an excellent question. Uh, unfortunately not. So this is the like one of the most frustrating things about the paper. So we have experiments that show that like the models leverages on robust patterns and kind of that the, 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 this theory really is true. Unfortunately, all the proof we have is very indirect. So essentially, we can show that these patterns exist. We were not able to really meaningfully isolate what these patterns actually are. So we have some conjectures, but as of now, there is no confirmed conjecture what it could be like. There are, like, for instance, you know, Leon Battu, like he mentioned, like, that, like one conjecture he had was that okay, so maybe you know, just one thing that uh, might have something to do is that okay. If we really believe in this bias of like, you know, dogs are, which is true, dogs are photographed more outside, cats are more photographed, photographed inside, well, of course, one of the things to read off is the surrounding, but maybe the other thing that is less obvious is, for instance, like, you know, the optical system of, of our camera, which actually has is in different configuration when it's indoors versus outdoors. So Again, we as humans, we don't see a difference because that's how it was designed, but there are differences that a neural network could pick up. And maybe this is part of the pattern. But like, this is all conjectures. We are actually trying to figure out how to isolate these patterns. But yeah, nothing I could really share at this moment.
0: Yeah, as you were describing it earlier, I've envisioned patterns that, or or some traits of the patterns that are different from the example you gave. Like dogs are photographed outside is one example of a, a bias. Dogs are photographed with uh, lenses or camera equipment in different configuration or different types of camera equipment, whatever, you know, it's a little bit more removed or or more abstract to me as a, a human who's trying to understand why, you know, these problems exist, but I still can kind of understand it. I envisioned as you were describing these patterns that, you know, it goes even further away from what is intuitive to me as a, as a human. Uh, is that generally the case or are you not yes, saying so that? that?
1: Yeah, so that's the general case. It's in particular, the reason why I give you this example is that we can't make sense of what is actually used. So, kind of, I'm trying to just, you know, give some analogies, and like I really fail. So, uh, no, that's the problem. That's, the, that's so really it's hard
0: to make it understandable, but also capture what is actually happening. Exactly.
1: So, so again, we know that there is something like we know that exactly what I said is going on. But we really don't like, cannot put our finger. Oh, here is what you exactly uh, your model does, and kind of, and, and that's why, and you know, when you think about this deeply or whatever, you will figure out. Oh yeah, indeed, this makes sense. So it is true though that like there was a bunch of papers that like figured out that our models like are attuned to some part of the signal that maybe we as humans would never be attuned. Like they definitely put a lot of uh, a lot of um, uh, emphasis on texture. So essentially, if you if you like kind of. Uh, like take an object and make it have a skin of an elephant, it will think this is an elephant. Uh, Then the other thing is that they depend on the higher order Fourier coefficients and so on. So so, so kind of we are discovering this that that kind of the models depend on stuff they're not supposed to, but we don't really have a good understanding of what these patterns are and what they are these patterns and all the other patterns.
0: I think this uh, realization and the insights that this paper is offering comes at a time when, you know, we're debating broadly deep learning and, uh, you know, it's misgivings or sufficiency to, you know, how far will deep learning get us uh, in uh, getting to artificial intelligence? Does, to what degree does the results you see here kind of inform your uh, opinions on that? Does it highlight some kind of fundamental uh, issues with, with deep learning that you think will ultimately will run into a wall? Or do you see a a path to us gaining understanding about these kinds of issues and overcoming them?
1: Yes, so I wouldn't say that much of these findings is really about deep neural networks in particular. It's really about how we do machine learning in general. Mm -hmm. And kind of, there is a fundamental challenge here. Like I call it like the double-edged sword of machine learning is the fact that all that like our deep learning in particular but many of our other uh, machine learning methods uh, you know do is they're like huge correlation extractors so essentially like in, in particular in particular deep neural networks they're actually amazing and picking up some patterns in the data that correlate with a given label so they're just amazing at that mm-hmm. the problem is that well first of all as you already uh, like mentioned a couple of times you know like, not all the correlation is causality, you know, that's kind of the, the, very important, uh, the very important part. And the other thing is that, again, there could be these weird correlations that we cannot make sense of, we don't want to make sense of, and essentially they are completely orthogonal to the task that we actually want to solve. So, so this is kind of, I think, a very fundamental, a very fundamental uh, limitation of deep learning before we go to any AI or anything, is that saying we have this unbridled power of extracting correlations, And first of all, like a collation versus causality is, you know, one big limitation that we currently don't touch at all. And the other one is kind of, that is exactly like, how do we regularize you know, kind of the space of patterns that our, you know, our deep neural networks uh, can, you know, uh, like actually are attuned to. In in some ways, the success comes from the fact that they were really able to figure out these patterns that like no other machine learning models were able to, as particularly in images. But now, they are kind of too powerful. They clearly like fit to everything they extract any drop of a drop of correlation that is out there how do you kind of uh, correlate it to make it into a useful you know into a, a, a useful decision making device so because that's kind of my big problem if my reserve that's something that actually I would like to really work towards is that like as useful as machine learning models are they are not really great I would say decision making support. Uh, like they don't provide much of a decision-making support. Like they kind of, if you trust it, you have a black box and it just tells you yes or no. And then if you are willing to trust the black box, that's fine. But essentially, if you think about the decisions that we actually need to make in the real world, they are much more complex than that. They are. They they may be yes no questions in the end, but there is a lot of new ones uh, like behind whether we should ye- say yes or no. So the real future, like if you really think towards working towards AI, is that you know, we would like them to help humans make decisions, at least at first, before they are capable of making decisions by themselves. And essentially, it seems that this is like currently like a big challenge. Like How can I really make this you know, deep learning model? Like how can I interface with it? You know, how can I understand you know, what it found, why it found it? and essentially then i can only then i can assess if these findings are important not important and how to incorporate them into, into decision into the decision making process so it's some kind of, like as you know there is like this you know ai as artificial intelligence but there is also ai as augmented intelligence and i think that so to me the augmented intelligence is the you know is the prerequisite for artificial intelligence and even for augmented intelligence that's where kind of that's where the barrier is that kind of if they adjust these collation extractors it's again that's where the power comes from but that's also the severe limitation that can hurt us badly
0: i think one of the conclusions that we can draw from what you just described is that really a part of the work that needs to happen around explainability is Not just explaining the existing black box the way it's trained today, but also we have to come up with better ways to, you know, find these robust features or regularize or whatever it is that ends up working. Because just, you know, explaining the thing that led to the decision today will, you know, just tell us a bunch of nonsense that isn't useful or intuitive to us.
1: Yeah, so that's uh, your uh, right-on point here as well. It's just exactly so. In some ways, one of the uh, maybe not appreciated enough yet, or at least at first not appreciated enough, implications of this result and this finding is exactly that: is saying, if you look at much of the explainability uh, uh, like work so far, it's really very much post hoc. It just says, right. I train a model, I give it to you, and now you will tell me what this model is doing and why and like what we just found it says says that this is like fundamentally like you know like you are fundamentally set up for failure because right. you either... don't want to
0: understand why this
1: network made this decision because it's nonsense exactly <laughs> well or this is not something you are capable of of, of understanding or, or, like, right like right. it's not nonsense because it actually works but like there's no hope for you like so either I right. would that's, give the, you a...
0: that's the their features part it's doing what you told it to do it's not exactly. nonsense yeah uh, but it's not Intuitive, and it's not what you want, I guess,
1: is the... Exactly. So the point is that either I will give you this kind of, like, what will you, you look to you like nonsense, even though it's not, and then it's, you will not interpret much, or it will say you something nice, tell you something nice, but it means that it's lying to you. It essentially has to, essentially, you know... Cut out some important part of the spectrum that influences the decision of the model. So, you know, and in particular, this is actually true. There was some very nice work about like sanity checks for, you know, for model explanations, where essentially they show that like many of these explanations, like the explainability methods, they give you nice explanation, but essentially we suffer from the confirmation bias. Essentially, okay, if I give you a correct prediction and something that like, you can make sense of, oh, yeah, I can see why why this is the correct answer. You know, it doesn't mean that it's actually explainable that you actually understand why model made the decision, and they kind of have some also very cute experiments that expose that many of the methods people believe are good. The, the only thing that they are good at is just producing nice pictures, no matter what the actual ground truth is.
0: Uh, and so does your paper go into... Uh... Any of the the solutions to this problem, finding the robust features, uh, either you know a survey of what's been done thus far or some new approaches.
1: Yeah, so so the paper—it's not to us. It was kind of uh, important, I would say. Thought, uh, like kind of thought changing uh, kind of uh, results. So, But we have follow up papers that start to try, well, try to confront this question. So, in particular, you know, one lesson that comes from this paper that we again expand on another uh, on paper that was also uh, happening in URIPS so and there is another one in, in submission. Essentially, kind of the, the finding is just the following okay, so if the problem is that the way machine learning models at the task is different to how we humans would like them to succeed or we envision them succeeding. Well, it's clear what you should do. you should try to align these two kind of these two reasonings. So essentially like you would like to already at the training, you would like to constrain your model to make it exactly like rely on features that make sense to you. So which is in particular, so essentially what you know and that's what we confirm is that if you train robust models, so essentially if you force the model to only classify images in a way that is robust to small perturbations, this significantly changes the kind of feature it relies. So for instance we show that like vision models, essentially once they are trained, uh, you know, once they are trained with you know uh, with like to be robust, they features become very intuitive. And kind of much more easy for humans to make sense of. So essentially, like as you know, there are like whole developments of GANs and you know other ways to try to figure out a good representation, visual representation of the data. It's it looks like if you just train a robust classifier and use it as a basis of your generative model, you get you know results that are closer to what was like maybe two, three years ago was state of the art for GANs and for the rest of the field. So essentially, like what, what you do is that in some ways, you kind of by forcing the model, okay whatever you however you make decisions this way of making decisions has to be robust to these tiny perturbations makes the model converge to representations of data that is much closer to how humans kind of can make sense of representation of the data and once you have a good data representation more intuitive data representations you can make the models are more interpretable you can make some kind of counterfactuals you can essentially do generative models so everything everything changes so this is kind of the recipe that you know we showed some prototypes of and now we are working towards making you know even more uh, more powerful
0: is that a surprising result It, it it strikes me as just extremely fortuitous that just enforcing robustness leads to kind of interpretable results or interpretable features, um, that isn't necessarily a way for that to have happened.
1: Yeah, that's uh, that's a great point. So, okay, so by the way, when you say robust, question is robust to what, right? And what we do in the paper is like the most primitive notion of robustness when we just say, I should not be changing any pixel by too much. Essentially, I just say that the total, like, you know, sum of squares of perturbation of the pixel is very small. So this is like the most simplistic notion of uh, perturbation you can think of, and indeed it turns out that this very simplistic notion alone is enough to have this dramatic change in the quality, well, the human understandable quality of the uh, of the representations. And I agree, this is very fortuitous. Like honestly, we do not expect to be so successful, uh, and we don't really understand why is it so successful. It's kind of like more successful than it should be. Uh, Having said that, though you know, it says you know, usually, like I say, the substitutions are more interpretable and more human aligned, but I would not call them fully interpretable. So definitely, we are not there yet. But yes, I was actually very well pleasantly surprised how big of a difference this very simple notion of perturbations already uh, uh, already provided, and I don't really understand why. That's something I would like to understand. And is this interpretability,
0: is it based on subjective measures or do you have a way to quantify this? Well,
1: again, uh, excellent question. So that's actually something that, so it's purely on subjective measures and that's actually something that bothers are, us and kind of, we are kind of exactly, because like once you ask this question, actually like what... You wonder if there's
0: some bias creeping in in the yes. way the the features are being evaluated.
1: Yes, exactly. So, so like, like, actually like if you think about it, yeah, we don't have even a good way of measuring if if it just give you an interpretability method, how would you actually certify it's actually working? We don't know. Like everything that we do so far is very anecdotal. It's just oh yeah, this makes sense and well you can try to break it and then you uh, like you see something but like this is exactly I how remember
0: a paper that uh, maybe it was the paper that you mentioned that kind of introduces this concept of you know explainability uh, but also veracity, like how it had the degree to which it actually reflects what's yes. happening in the model. So, so, so understandable uh, understandability, veracity, and I think there were another couple of characteristics. Yes,
1: so there are some preliminary work. Like I think the, maybe I'm missing out the work that you are mentioning, but yeah, there is some work, nice work from Microsoft uh, research and so on that like try to exactly ask this kind of more you know, in the end interpretability is a human, you know, it's it's a it's a you know it's always from human perspective. So they use some human studies to to just check okay how helpful a given method is or not so so this is definitely the way to go I still wouldn't say that you know that we we got the like reasonably good answer like I think we are still thinking of what would be the right way to quantify what like what is the measure of explainability and again in some ways this robustness is again is clearly a prerequisite like meaning it is a very useful uh, ingredient. But by itself, it doesn't really like you know give rise uh, to you know to explainability by itself. Like there is more that we will need to figure out.
0: The other paper that you mentioned that was published at NeurIPS, what was that paper called?
1: Oh, image synthesis with a you know single robust classifier. So essentially, it shows that there is a variety of image synthesis tasks like generation, uh, uh, like you know interpolation and, and uh, you know, like about like super resolution and so on, like like all these exciting uh, applications in computer vision that kind of got fueled by the developments in GANs and, and corresponding technologies, like you can reproduce all of that with just uh, like taking a robust classifier and essentially like doing some simple procedure on top of it once you have this very nice data representation because in the end, what really you want to get is just nice data representation and once you have these representations, you can do everything in a very natural and easy way.
0: Uh, One of the interesting uh, results in this paper talks about the relationship between transferability and uh, the robustness of features. Can you elaborate a little bit
1: on that? So this is still, I would say, conceptual connection. It's not a very formal connection, but in some ways, uh, one thing you can say is saying, okay, if uh, I have an explainable model, it would be easier to make it robust because essentially each time when it's not robust, I can figure out what made it tick the wrong way and fix it, okay. And then the other connection, already the one that it, kind of essentially making Robert robust seems to encourage the model to be more human-aligned in the way it makes decision, hence making it more explainable. But like it is really more of a conceptual connection. I wouldn't say this is like a technical connection, but this is what we observe, and kind of this is why you know how the robustness research becomes like intertwined with the explainability research, our, 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 like all of the out of
0: uh, what I thought I was reading was the implications to transfer learning
1: transfer learning yeah so this is again the other thing is like in some ways you know if I'm uh, if I'm uh, training to kind of to solve this particular test set so I train on ImageNet to be tested on ImageNet well essentially what happens then is that well maybe there are like I'm using okay so what we know is that this non-robust models they kind of are non-robust because they find these extremely useful patterns to solve this test right mm-hmm. now what might be happening is that even though the particular patterns that you used that are that are useful for passing this passing this particular test, well they are useful, but they might not be might be very far from like you know from solving the task that you actually want to do. So essentially like maybe you are able to solve the cats versus dog question on this data set, because maybe every dog has I I don't know, like the you know, the top right pixel is red for every dog, and for every cat it is it is green. You know, and this is something that is maybe artifact of how the data was created. It's clearly a pattern that will make you very successful once you extract it very successful on the on, on the test as well. But but clearly this will not transfer to any other data set that is about cats versus dogs. So essentially, so the hope would be that by forcing essentially when you talk about the transfer task, usually what it means is that there is some human imagined underlying classification task that you are trying to solve. And essentially, you know that everything, like every way, like essentially all the patterns that the humans think you should be using to solve this task, well, these patterns should transfer. In particular, these patterns are robust. So essentially, so this is the kind of the connection that you expect that by forcing the model to use robust patterns, you kind of nudge it towards this, you know, more human-like and to uh, more transferable. Uh, ways of reasoning about, you know, about given classification tasks. So that's the kind of connection that we kind of envision. But like, it's also work in progress to actually fully confirm that this in the case.
0: Uh, now, in your introduction, you mentioned that you're a theorist. Did you present any theoretical results in the paper?
1: Uh, well, in the bugs paper, uh, yes. So essentially, so this is kind of more Let's just say this is not like you know hardcore theory. This is more of a theory as kind of trying to show in some like fully rigorous context, you know how this phenomena play out just so people get some more intuition. Uh, and essentially, so what we show is that indeed, if you think about like a very basic classification task, which is like you know you just think about like you have two distributions, like two Gaussians, that you try to distinguish. And then you would use kind of maximum likelihood classification. So essentially, like, the way you would do classification. So yeah. So I give you first, you know, a, a bunch of samples, or even tell you what the distributions are, you know, for plus for positive and negative examples, which each one of them is a Gaussian centered at, you know, at on some point, and let's say, uh, uh, like, uh, like uh, yeah, maybe having the same uh, like the uniform covariance matrix, but like the point will be actually no, they should be uh, they should have a non-uniform covariance matrix. So anyway, so I give you. T- uh, like two Gaussians, you know, and then I ask you, okay, now come up with, with, with a decision boundary as essentially whenever I give you a point, well, you will tell me, is it more likely to have come from the positive uh, Gaussian or the negative Gaussian? And that will be your classification task. Essentially, you will need to kind of figure out for every for every point, make a decision, you know, is it more likely to come from one or from the other? And so this is kind of this, you know, maximum likelihood uh, classification task that, you know, we know how to solve in theory very easily. There's a very easy formula. For figuring this out, and essentially, what we then show is that if you go from this just solving this uh, classification task in vanilla style and you envision a robust version of this task, essentially you ask, okay, you want your, 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 to classify w- w- like from which Gaussian you are more likely to have come, subject to the adversary who might have perturbed the point a little bit before showing it to you, then you realize that the solutions that you are getting can be very different to the ones that you would do for the standard task and essentially and there are some very nice points that kind of the things that we observe in the like data driven regime in the you know image regime actually are very nicely mirrored by some very simple phenomena about like how the kind of how the gradients of, of the loss function uh, behave and essentially, like, like, essentially this is a nice illustration or like a fully formal illustration of the phenomena we discuss in the you know in the in the basic part of the paper mm-hmm.
0: you introduced this concept of the gradient interpretability
1: uh, well, yes, yeah, so, so there is this kind of thing that kind of one way to tell that our data representation is nice is essentially ask, like, do this kind of like very, I will call, call them counterfactuals in quotes because they're not really counterfactuals, saying, imagine I give you an example of a dog, and now I can ask you, okay, can you tell me what should I change in this image to make you believe this is a cat, okay? So if you do it to a non-robust model, then essentially you will get some noise pattern. This is exactly how adversarial examples are created. Mm-hmm. It essentially, says okay, oh, you should change this pixel a little bit, and this pixel a little bit, and this pixel a little bit, and that will make you kind of believe that this cat is a dog, uh, sorry, this dog is a cat. Mm-hmm. Uh, it turns out that if you do the same, so and you just this is a response to taking a grain of the loss. So essentially, uh, you just take the grain of the loss in direction of the cat, and you just you know, and and the model tells you which pixels have to change. So it turns out that if you do it to robust models, then the proposed changes are actually much more human meaningful. Like, essentially, like you really start morphing this dog into a cat and that's the only way seems to be the only way to make the model believe that this will be a cat and essentially so this is kind of this interpretable gradient means that the if i ask this question okay what would make this picture of a dog uh, convince you that this is a, a cat so this corresponds to a gradient and if this gradient is more meaningful it corresponds to things that make sense to us as humans we say that this is interpretable gradient
0: awesome are there other uh conclusions that you Reached in the paper that uh, are worth mentioning here.
1: Well, you know, uh, like yeah, so I think that we went over like most of them. I think that just one the usual message that I like to send is just like we really kind of we are all very excited about these developments of technology and deep learning in particular, and you know they are truly exciting. So there is a reason to be excited. But like I think what this paper shows, and you know more broadly this work around industrial examples, is that really like kind of you know it's uh, like machine learning is this kind of very sharp uh, sharp knife is yes, that kind of yes it can be extremely useful tool if you use it properly but it's very easy to cut yourself if you use it improperly so some kind of like this is the kind of the message that i like that like before we really build through ai we really need to understand building blocks and even in such a basic uh, like building block as machine learning models for image classification, there is still much to, to be understood about like why the models succeed what, and what do we need to do to make them succeed, succeed better and in more reliable well. So hopefully you know, in a few years we will figure that out.
0: Well, Alexander, thanks so much for taking the time to share what you're working on. Very cool stuff.
1: Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me.
0: Thank you.